I V M. We would like to thank Storytel for sponsoring this show. Storytel is an audiobook platform that lets you hear hundreds of thousands of stories on your mobile, on your PC, wherever you prefer. You can get a great deal by signing up at the URL storytel.com/ivm. So this week I'm going to recommend Watership Down by Richard Adams. It's a quirky book. It's the story of a group of rabbits, how they face the destruction of their den and subsequent escape and journey to their new home. It's funny, it's heartwarming, really cool. It's basically Exodus with rabbits. I think you'll enjoy it if you haven't read it before and let me tell you a little bit about where you can go get it. Go get it at storytel.com/ivm and you know what will happen if you go and sign up on this link. You'll get your first month for just 99 rupees a month instead of 299. That's 200 bucks off. Go get this book right now. You'll really enjoy it. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the freedom to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. said Viktor Frankl who was an Austrian neurologist psychiatrist philosopher holocaust survivor and the author of this world famous book man's search for meaning you might have heard me quoting him multiple times by now i'm starting today's episode on this note as our guest has a similar kind of story to share he has lived through a devastating tsunami in chennai survived a 7.2 magnitude earthquake in philippines and after all this decided to overcome his fear of heights with a 150 feet bungee jump in queenstown new zealand incredible welcome to absolutely right the very first graphology based podcast show in india I'm your host Aditi Surana. I am a graphologist and a high performance coach. Like always, today I will be analyzing the handwriting of one more interesting leader, pathbreaker who believes in outcreating himself and his limitations every now and then. Vikram Kota is a chief operating officer at GRT Hotels, food stylist, biohacker, model, actor, speaker, and an author of his new book Mojo in a Mango Tree: Lessons from Hospitality for New Age Leaders. Vikram has conceptualized several award-winning hotels and restaurants from childhood memories to leadership conflicts post lockdown in his hospitality industry we delve into a lot of things in our segment autograph please i have commented on vikram's signature signatures represent public image you know how we project ourselves in the social or formal setting in this segment i decode vikram's signature and speak about how he is often misunderstood by people around him You know, you can imagine a valuable insight for a leader. Have you observed signatures yourself? Do you also wonder why some people turn into abstract artists like Picasso while signing their official documents? On the other side of this short break, I will dive into the graphology tool of the week, where I will be talking about the signature that has some form of encircling cover-up that talks about all the information that you're trying to conceal. Stay tuned. Hello everybody, welcome to another week on the IVM Podcast Network. If you haven't been following us on social media, please do. We're IVM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'd like to thank the sponsors on the network this week, Storytel and The Whole Truth Foods. Thank you for supporting us. So, a great bunch of episodes this week. First, let me tell you about The Note with Maru Kanayat. It was featuring Asaduddin Owaisi. She spoke to the AIMIM leader to understand what the Indian Muslim voter wants and how his party is any different from the BJP. On advertising is dead, Varun spoke with Malika Sadani. Malika is the founder and CEO of the Moms Company. They discussed the science of motherhood. On Naan Kari with Sadaf and Archit, Dhananjay Chuck of the Edges and Sledges podcast showed up, so we did another crossover this time with food and cricket. On Agla Station Adulthood, Ritasha and Ayushi talked to Gorang Sangvi, head of digital business at DSP Mutual Fund. 
The episode has some logical and realistic advice, especially for millennials, on to how to invest their money. Shunya One is back this week with Sheila Ditya and myself. We spoke to Anirudh Singla of Pepper Content this week. Really interesting conversation. Anirudh gave us some real deep insights into content creation and how they're thinking about different ways of creating it. Do check them out. Really fun show. Really fun conversation. And with that, let me get you back to your show. Hi, Vikram. Welcome to the show. Hi, Aditi. Nice to see you. Likewise, likewise. Now, I have your handwriting sample in front of me. And without wasting any time, I'm going to jump in and talk about some aspects that I find right away. The I'm first so thing that stands and I'm out... I'm also scared. <laughs> I would say as you should be. <laughs> okay. So as I look at your handwriting, one thing that comes to my mind as the first thing is your ability to evaluate information. You look at, you walk into any room, you know, any situation and you quickly analyze things for what they are, black and white. And sometimes people wonder how do you do that so quickly, how you manage to do that so quickly. But that is because you are evaluative, you're highly analytical. I've spoken about this trait in our previous episode, but when somebody writes their letters with angular formation, so when you write your letter M, you know, it has that angular formation. All of them are like little pointed mountains there. When that formation is prevalent in anybody's writing, it talks about how this person is evaluative, analytical, and constantly gathering information. Yeah, I think uh, most of the time, I realize that uh, this is uh, very true. Because people generally, when I walk into meetings, I am able to uh, gauge the mood of the people. And I am able to uh, actually preempt of what's going to happen in the meeting. So people are uh, sometimes wondering whether I have some other information. How did I come into the room and make out? But I, I guess this uh, I'm able to... Uh, get this because uh, for a long time, I had this uh, kind of a vision where when I go in and I see something, I'm able to see all the details which some of the other people are not able to see. And I think it's one of the traits of a hotelier that we are so picky and we are so very clued to details. So I'm able to pick up more than uh, the inanimate uh, cues, I'm able to pick up cues from people's emotions. So I think what you're saying is absolutely true. So when that happens, you know, your connection with the team is much deeper. So you must have seen that people come back to meet you, visit you after many years of working with you or after having left the organization that you represent just to connect with you on a human level, on a personal level, because what they learn being with you uh, generally is a steeper learning curve than than other experiences that they go through. Because you stretch yourself, you make sure that it's not only being receptive or perceptive of the situation, but the other aspect that I must talk about is your ability to execute things to the detail, to the T. So you would not uh, see the gap and leave it. You will look at the gap and you'll see what can you do? How can you fix that problem? And you thrive in fixing problems. Yeah, I love uh, actually challenges and uh, most of uh, hoteliers work is through uh, when we do every uh, minute is a different uh, thing in hotels. So you actually can't plan a day to the T. We have a very broad plan in uh, when we are uh, working in hotels and we take it as it uh, comes because there are so many situations which come in 
and uh, we try we tend to we have to get into those details and we have to solve those problems and as you know the past decade i think uh, hotel has been uh, is equal to uncertainty i think uh, we had so <laughs> sure. many disasters from 2001 where the uh, the wtc attack and then sure. then sure. we had the taj terror attack then we had the tsunami and then we had uh, the chennai floods and then we had the 2008 crash and of course now the pandemic so yep. i think the hospitality industry unless you are queued on and you you enjoy working in the challenging spaces it's not going to be enjoyable and enjoy i enjoy my job so i guess i it's inbuilt in me that i enjoy these challenges I, i'm glad that it is coming out through my handwriting yeah which also means is part of your personality so you know how we yeah. talk about personality matching the profession in your case it yeah. is definitely matching your profession because if you wouldn't have picked up this career you would have been a problem solver in whichever field you would have chosen so i'm happy for you that you picked this career where you have to do it every single day for your information i picked my career when i was a 13 year old boy so i walked into a hotel five star hotel one day and then i said that this is what excites me when i go into a hotel i see the small details i walked into a large lobby of a five star mm. hotel to see an uncle nri uncle mm. and then i saw these uh, the entire vibe the people dressed in suits and the ladies dressed in uh, nice silk sarees and the guests uh, drinking wine and eating good food with great cutlery <laughs> and the entire vibe was so good i said that has to be my profession because i i knew that time that i will thrive in this environment because i love this excitement the dynamism of the entire uh, uh, place and also the challenges it poses i could see that people were having different situations in different pockets of the lobby and yet it was looking as if it is one entire whole scene which was going on so that's what excited me when i was a 13 year old boy and uh, it uh, made me do hotel management when it was not so popular during those days uh, my so. father yeah my father wanted me to become a doctor you know the narrative uh, in maybe 20 30 years back the narrative was that uh, you have to either become a, a doctor or an engineer to be successful right to be we, we grew successful. up in that generation yeah. where everybody yeah. every parent wanted their child to choose only one of these two options one Agreed? of these two options so i was also pushed towards it but somehow i uh, i my passion was so strong uh, that i wanted to become a hotelier that i made sure that i i ran away from home I uh, went into college I got uh, inducted into a hotel management college in Bangalore wow. and I asked my grandmother to pay my fees uh, I told her that I will pay her back uh, and that's how I did my hotel management course wow. and got into the Taj Hotel that's that's amazing that's, that's inspiring yeah. to even hear now <laughs> you know people do have clarity about what they want to do but having the courage to support it and having the the willingness and tenacity to see through that dream and that idea i think that that's really amazing and when so, you say now that uh, that uh, i chose the right profession it makes me so happy because uh, it's a kind of uh, endorsement that what i chose was the correct one for me and and i also want to bring back the conversation we began the point that we began the conversation with where i said the angular formation observation skills and really looking at things for what they are now 
even that 13 year old Vikram knew about those aspects. He brought that exact observation skill, which now you ride on, thrive on, you know, bring in different forms now. But even that time, it was the same skill, which is innate and, and given to you and you are applying it. So I'm very happy for you. And I'm very happy for our listeners to get to hear one more story, which is so inspiring. Thank, Thank you, you for Thank sharing you. that. Thank you. So Vikram, over to you. What questions do you have for me? So I just want to have a couple of uh, questions. Uh, I just want to know now this uh, so much of uncertainty. They're saying new normal. And uh, everywhere people are unsettled, especially the hospitality industry is going through a lot of trouble. Uh, so sometimes what happens is that... Uh, the entire team, they're thinking in different ways. I mean, they have their own uh, pressures, uh, work from home, uh, and then uh, salary cuts and furloughs, and uh, a lot of these things are happening. So is there any specific way which I can deal with these problems and carry my team with my personality? Do you see anything in my handwriting which uh, you feel that I should use it as a strength to get the team together to perform as a unit. Okay. I think that's a great question. Now, I was talking about, I'm going to break it graphologically as I answer this because there are so many beautiful nuances I can bring to this conversation here. Now, okay. we have something called imaginary baseline, imaginary line on which we write. So we asked you to write on a blank sheet of paper and that okay. gives me the space to see where your handwriting is moving upward, downward, straight. Now, in your case, you have a combination of that, which means sometimes your handwriting goes upward and sometimes it goes straight. Uh, last few lines in your sample, uh, the handwriting is going up and down both together. Now, mm -hmm. let me explain what it means. It first part shows where the handwriting goes up, talks about enthusiasm that you bring to the table. So problem solving, picking up anything that is not working and making it functional. Again, you, as I mentioned, you thrive on that. Second part where the baseline is straight, which talks about a focused approach to pick anything and go for it. Like a car racing driver, you just want to go to that final result right away. The third aspect is where the baseline shows that it is going up and down and up and down. Talks about a mind that is confused about where the, the solution should come from. Now, when you are unclear, it is almost impossible for you to deal with any team member, no matter how much you wish to be there for them. With lack of clarity, that is not possible. So let's take this first aspect that you won't be able to have any clarity or complete or absolute clarity in the scenario like that. But you are beating yourself up for not having that clarity. So in terms mm -hmm. of your personality aspect, it's not like forcing yourself to get the clarity will solve the problem, but rather accepting yourself, accepting this for you that I won't have clarity for next six months might reduce the, the plight and the pain and the agony that you're experiencing right now because okay. it is getting to you. So from that unstable platform, guiding anyone else won't be available as, as a person. So first thing is like, if you, Say that, okay, for this stipulated period of time, I'm just going to show up and deal with situation at hand, the way things are going, the way you did in many, many situations. But because being the, the analytical person, you want to bring utmost clarity and that is not happening. So you're, you're not seeing the value that you're adding here. And this is where the inner conflict is coming to, to surface. 
So my request to you after seeing these aspects is make sure that you allow yourself to be part of the team and not only be the leader who have all the solutions. I think that's a, that's a very good advice you're giving. I think that also connects to my next thing which I had in mind that I'm a kind of a hyper person. I'm very anxious and I try to get things done very fast and I want to do it perfectly and I believe in excellence. But sometimes in this team, especially uh, nowadays, the, the present situation, I don't feel that my the, the, all the members in the team are traveling together with me. So sometimes there are some guys who are lagging behind. And this makes me very anxious. They're not on the same wavelength, which I'm thinking on. I'm trying to put back the business online. And we are trying to change the, uh, the format of business. You know, in hospitality now, the business hotels are down because there's no travel. But right. the leisure hotels are doing very well. So we are trying to see whether we can change our pattern of business where we get more leisure people, more domestic uh, we are trying to attract more domestic uh, clients, more than uh, international clients. And we are also seeing whether we can uh, do uh, uh, door delivery of food, door delivery of other services like housekeeping right. services, laundry services. But you know, some of the people in the team, they're not open to change, which uh, is really bothering me. So I was wondering, how do I, uh, how do I look at this? Should I just be patient and uh, take it slowly? Uh, then I lose the race. I feel I we will lose the race because there's a lot of competition coming around. Uh, otherwise, what do I do? I mean, uh, do I get new people on the team or should I uh, just inspire these people to reach up to that spot? Or how do I deal with this? Okay. Again, an amazing question, which is so loaded and has so many aspects to look at. Now, when we uh, look at any personal leadership style, any person, you know, standing there and, and getting the team together, he requires to look at situations in front of him and look at how can he go around them instead of always fighting them. Now, let me talk about impatience as a, as a behavioral aspect. What is impatience? Whatever will happen tomorrow, I want to make sure that I'm prepared, I'm ready for that problem that challenge that opportunity right away and if I do not do according to me whatever I think is right correct you know required must right away then I will miss that bus tomorrow it's literally believing that if I don't walk these two steps and if all my team does not walk it with me then we are gone we are doomed so the actual messaging the actual conversation in your mind is about how things may go wrong how things will not work. And if they don't fight this, if they don't wake up and if they don't go about it, then we are gone, which could be a reality. I am not denying that. You know, we are in a situation where this is happening and many, many mm. hotels are kind of struggling with that situation. So your, your fear is valid. Mm. But as mm. a leader, when you use fear to lead someone, it becomes uh, the stick approach. It becomes that that constant nagging approach. It becomes somebody sitting on your throat or on your back and trying to push a decision and you're doing it for everybody's good. But unfortunately, if it is done in the manner that it is being done, the results are not uh, what you would desire them to be. If the same thing would have happened without having this cutthroat um, deadline or situation in front of you, probably you would have dealt with it in a different manner. Vikram, my question to you is, if it were not for this 
calamity, how you would have dealt with this situation according to you? See, generally, uh, if it is not for this urgency of, uh, and there's such a big change which is happening today, I would uh, carry the entire team. I know all fingers are not uh, the same size. So I know similarly that all my staff are not having the similar uh, skill sets or the their, their maturity levels are not similar at all levels. So what I, I always do is I will play to the strengths of each staff. So I will pick up a team member and I, I will study him completely. I know what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, and I will match him with a person with similar strengths so that they form a very uh, strong team and they can take that particular project which I give them forward. Uh, but this takes a little time. That means it uh, takes time to study the people. It takes time to put them in teams together. It takes time to uh, find out what are the weaknesses of other person and complement it with some other person's strengths. So it takes all this takes time. In good time, uh, we yeah. have, uh, we can do this because there is enough time, and then the projects are not so time bound, and uh, there is not so much of pressure on the uh, revenues which are not coming in. The revenue streams have now all changed. Now with this big change, I feel that, uh, I feel like you said that impatience. Uh, maybe, I mean, it, it may still work, but we have not tried. It's only since September we are open, the hotels. So we are looking at, we are seeing things that uh, it's a completely new scenario. It's like we are starting at ground zero and now we have to rebuild the entire thing. So uh, that's when I'm trying, I'm getting a little anxious saying, okay, if this is the scenario, we have to change paths. We have to make sure that uh, all the forces work together and then we have a common objective so that the outcomes are good. Uh, and this might last for a year or two. So we have to be prepared for that. So this is where my dilemma was. And uh, I think like you said, I think I'll have to take it slow and make sure that uh, I go back to my pre-COVID way of uh, leading people rather than uh, hurrying things up. So pre-COVID times had that time on your hand, but at the same time, you were more relaxed. So probably what you really need to work on is though you're walking into this battlefield, you know, a commander requires that level of calmness and firmness. Even if you know that the battle may or may not be won, you have to carry out your operations. Now you're doing everything but not being firm or calm in the situation right now. I am requesting in both your questions that you really require to probably go back to your drawing board or go back to your notepad and figure out what is your clarity for next three months, not for next one year, because we won't have that, but just for next three months and see how you can bring that clarity and make it very, very clear to your team and keep looking at it as a battlefield. I think that perspective by itself will become really, really helpful. I guess what you're saying uh, is correct because I also feel that uh, I'm a kind of a, now in the present situation, I'm kind of trying to control everything. And uh, I know that we can't control uh, everything. And nothing I'm happy is you said it control. on your own. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Is that it come to? Okay. I realize that uh, I'm trying to control too many things. And I know that we cannot control and it has to happen as it happens. So I'm trying to work on that also and see whether uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not becoming a control freak uh, because of that anxiety to make sure that the hotels 
or the brand which we built for so many years, 15, 20 years, continues in the same pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also doing new hotels and there is uh, uh, also pressure on uh, getting these hotels ready in the present scenario. There right. is no, you know, the migrant workers are not there. Uh, so all have gone back. So we are working with very uh, small teams. Uh, the same work which was being done with larger teams, it's trying to accomplish with smaller teams. So I guess, I mean, I, I think all this adds up to this entire uh, situation. Whichever we, uh, we look at it, it's not easy for sure. It is a battlefield and keeping all these moving parts in mind it is really, really tough. But I, I'm reminded of one of the sentences I learned from my teacher. Uh, he used to say that being in control requires you to be calmer. Being controlling mm. is where we get hyper. And controlling is about pre-deciding other people's actions and the results that may carry. And being in control is being willing to play with the uncertainty. I think very well said. I think uh, that's a good uh, advice your teacher has given. And I think I should uh, try and sit back and relax and uh, look at things more clearly and with clarity uh, rather than think too far ahead. Great. Next question, please. Yeah, I have another question, which which is more a question for about uh, parenting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know whether that comes out in my personality or not. So like I told you earlier, I grew up with my grandmother okay. uh, because my father my, uh, used to work in uh, quite remote uh, places. He was in charge of uh, the materials in large uh, projects like dams and things like that. So the, okay. obviously these dams are all in very remote places. So there was no education there. There was no schooling there. So for consistency of schooling, we grew up with my grandmother. So at that time, I was uh, very like uh, disappointed with my parents because I felt they kind of abandoned me. I didn't get their guidance and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So maybe that has a deep-rooted uh, kind of psych in my psyche. And today, I am overbearing. I'm trying to compensate that with my uh, daughter. And I'm trying to do everything more for my daughter, which she hates it. <laughs> so again, it's, it's uh, I think it's a problem of uh, being able to tell her that I'm there for you in everything, but she doesn't want right. that to happen. Sure. So do you have a solution for that and how to get over that? So first thing first, when it comes to how much involvement should I show and how much control should I take, there is a slight difference. So when it is about involvement, it's being there for the other person. When it's about controlling the situation so that she won't suffer, she won't fall, she won't you know, go through something that you don't want her to, is being in charge of all the uncertainty that you cannot control. And thereby, you'll end up limiting her. And you realize it, but that whole fear. So it's not about the action. The, act, the same action done from a space where you want to encourage her is different. But when the same action is done from fear, so I, I always say this to my clients that it's the motive behind the actions that decide the experience of the action. It's not always, okay. especially in relationships, it's so, so, so important. And 
uh, last week we dropped this episode on love language and that's applicable to any relationship. We spoke about couples, but it's applicable to okay. any relationship. So knowing what is the love language of the other person and speaking to them in the manner they want to be understood requires us to step out of our story. And with the kind okay. of impatience that you show in your handwriting, it also brings in temper. So you do it out of concern, but when you land up communicating it, you sound temperamental. You snap, you kind of do it in a manner that that you're not angry, but you just snap so that the person is scared enough to just follow your instructions so that you can move forward and avoid the problem. So if she has to go through her journey, she has to go through that journey and no matter what you try, she will go through it. So... I think that is, uh, I think we have spoken about it. I don't want to bring in one more angle to speak about control, controlling. I think we have covered that one. Okay. So I I also feel that uh, the millennial mindset is very different from the earlier uh, generation. And uh, I think they think very differently and their aspirations are very different. So I guess we need to understand millennials when you're also in the workforce. I think 80% of our workforce in hotels are now millennials. Sure. So we are able to understand them better. They they look at uh, the whole world. They want to change and they want to have fairness everywhere. And uh, they, have, uh, they are very idealistic and uh, stuff like that. So I guess we need to get used to the working with this new millennial uh, workforce. Uh, and uh, I think we need to also work on our own personalities because we have been dealing with uh, people, uh, another generation of people, maybe 10 years back. But uh, today, what uh, workforce we are getting to work consistently is with uh, these millennials. So I guess I think it's a different workforce. And Vikram, in our generation, fear worked, right? Our yeah. parents, our grandparents, they showcased fear. They sold fear yeah. and we bought yeah. it. Now, yeah. with the kind of upbringing the new generation is going through, and I'm also speaking this from a graphological perspective, when I look at the handwritings of these kids, you know, mm-hmm. the amount of maturity they bring to the table, I otherwise, 10 years ago, used to find that in somebody's handwriting who was 25 or 28. So they are mature, they have more clarity, they're kids, you know, they have their innocence, they have their fancy, they have their tantrums, all of that. But at the same time, because of the exposure and the environment they're growing in, they also have more clarity. They also have clearer opinions. So the balance between their innocence and their stupidity and their intelligence and their, you know, wisdom is something as a generation, older generation of our generation must look at and cherish because they do have perspectives that are not available to us. So if we allow them to emerge, I also feel in handwritings, I've seen these patterns when they say, I want to do this. Many of them are also committed to do that Mm. because they're not driven by fear and they're driven by their own inspiration. And now Mm. they have all the technology at their disposal. They keep figuring things out. So the hustle is stronger and the abilities are much higher. So it's, it's fascinating right. to see this generation. Yeah, very true. Because uh, I think uh, one is technology and uh, another one is the opportunities they get. I think the generation before did not get these kind of opportunities, which the present generation is seeing. And also the choices. I mean, the choices they can make are multifold compared to the sure. previous generation uh, choices. And, this and is thereby making, fear won't work. 
Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but thereby fear yeah. won't work. Fear yeah. is to work in our generation where we felt if I don't get this, if I lose this job, where do I, where do I go? Here they right. know they would apply for yeah. five jobs before they yeah. say anything to this job, yeah. right? So yeah. It, yeah. the only way to keep them engaged is to keep them inspired and right. keep the whole whole game of growing and learning on. So I think you must try that with your daughter. Yeah, I, I think I should do that. I think I should do that. <laughs> And also the another point I want to add to this in the workforces today, it makes it more challenging because it's so multi generational. We still have the old timers, and now we are get we have the millennials, and now you have the the younger kids which are who are coming in. So there are three generations which are fighting for the same space, and uh, who have different way of thinking, and uh, it's up to the leader. manage all three so that uh, they show them the same goal and how they can all travel together to the same goal so that's the challenge of leaders today that's why i called your work a battlefield it's no okay, less yeah. than that <laughs> yeah yeah it's a, I, i think that's the correct word the battlefield i think i should use it more often <laughs> yeah and we are at war Definitely. yeah <laughs> true Vikram, any other question for me before I move to the next segment where I will talk about your signature in our segment called Autograph, please. Okay, I'm I'm actually waiting to hear that. So let's move on to the next segment. Sounds great. Okay. So you know how signatures we use only for our official reasons, thereby we use them to represent ourselves in a certain formal setting. Now, interestingly. signatures give the information about how you behave when you walk into your office when you walk out of your house when you walk in any social or formal setting whereas handwriting talks about who you are in person in private with your family members so the real self and the gap is always uh, you know seen as a misunderstanding between who you are and who you are perceived by other people to be Okay, so I'm going to okay. talk about certain clear uh, gaps there. The first thing is people believe that when you get into a situation, you're very passionate and you're very emotional, and you cannot let go of the projects without having done the best. Now that is true, but as I said, as the first point, you're very logical and you have clear, you know, picture of the data and the numbers and the logistics, all of that happening. So when they think that you're operating from passion. and when they make a pitch when they want to explain something to your new vendors they gauge you to be this emotionally driven person and they give you all the reasons which are about how nice things are and how beautiful they are and you know all the things that would be appealing to an emotional person which do not work for you because you are like okay give me the numbers give me the data give me the exact points but because they don't see you like that they keep talking in in you know circles about things that are not appealing and then they believe uh this person is very nice to talk to but very difficult to be convinced very true i think it happens uh, most of the time in fact uh, yesterday i had a vendor who was trying to uh, sell me the signature scents for a lobby Okay. so he was like you said he was going on about uh, how beautiful it is and how people will enjoy and how uh, you can have the coffee smell and how you can entice them to come into the restaurant with fresh bread smell but all i wanted to know was how much does it cost and how much is it, it cost per hour where how do you put it and uh, how do we know that so much scent would work for so many square feet but uh, he thought that i would 
be uh, carried away with the peripheral uh, benefits of making the scent uh, get people into the restaurant or it like attract them but i was more concerned about how much it's going to cost at the end of the day and how do we work the entire thing into the sop or the standard operating procedure of a hotel very true what you said was very true add on point here so when you are talking about your team not feeling that you are moving with that pace and all of that is also because they still look at you as this passionate person mm. you do not bring in the logical clarity though it's your fundamental process to look at everything you don't bring it to the communication when you talk to them about a problem you tell mm. them why they should be doing it and you know that remains your conversation but if you bring in more data and more numbers and you make it about the situation instead of your uh, approach to it it would really work because you you will thrive because that's your natural tendency to function from thanks i think that's a good tip i think i should use it the next time and see how it works yeah and do tell me how it works yeah i will give you feedback <laughs> if it works thank you yes. vikram thank you so much for joining us on the absolutely right show and i must say that you know the kind of vulnerability you brought in and speaking about different aspects it is really amazing to see how at a leadership position you're still willing to learn and and take the conversation and your own journey to the next level thank you so thank much thank you thank you aditi thank you i think it was a very uh, learning uh, for me i think i never knew that graphology could actually give solutions to a lot of uh, leadership challenges and i think only today i know that a person's handwriting and can handwriting uh, change i mean can it change over uh, time and does it affect the personalities how do you look at it so handwriting keeps changing every mm. now and then because handwriting okay. has three parts some parts mm. are permanent like our you know deep rooted personality traits some are transient which change over every 5 to 6 years and some are temporary mood swings mm. technically graphology speaks about all of them so when you say your handwriting is changing it is representing and if it is a, a you know an honest mirror it should show all the changes that your handwriting and your mind is going through so it does capture all of it fundamentally but i believe what you're asking is can we use handwriting to make changes in uh-huh. all the problems that we are talking about the answer is yes we call it graphotherapy it's a okay. specific way where you repeat certain strokes over and over again to reverse engineer that's a very strong word to use for a psychological behavioral thing but you can really recreate certain behavioral aspects uh, with uh, time bound guaranteed results which fascinates me to another level oh, altogether okay that's very fascinating we do cha- make changes do in the signatures and make changes in the handwriting to create those changes that we are talking about oh, okay so that's very interesting uh, to know that uh, handwriting can change maybe i think it uh, changes it's something to do with neuroscience and how your yes. mind is connected and exactly uh, it's, it's called uh, neuro pathways you could end up creating yeah. new neuro pathways with new strokes that you practice so it's a very mechanical process but it works uh, with a specific results so Yes, it does. Fantastic! Very interesting. Very interesting. And uh, one more question I had for you. Yes. Uh, I'm a kind of. I was. Uh, I'm a like a left-hander in most of my things. Okay. And uh, I also write. Uh, do a lot of things in my right hand. So I used to write in my left when I was very young, and mm-hmm. then in school they changed my hand to right hand. So I can write mm-hmm. both in my left and right. 
obviously i haven't uh, i haven't been practicing writing with my left but i can still do my, like all my racket games and i uh, even if i have to pick up something it's always my dominant hand is left and uh, the right hand maybe out of uh, using it more often and also maybe i can also do some work with my right hand i'm, I'm kind of ambidextrous do you think uh, that will uh, also uh, affect handwriting or uh, will it also affect uh, personality how do you so, read this two aspects to it your handwriting is your brain writing so no matter how you look at it uh, technically on the paper it does not talk about which hand you use to write it's your brain writing so it talks about your personality from that perspective but yes the impact that you're talking about is definitely related to being forced to change your preference mm-hmm. and being forced to use your not dominating hand to you know make it dominate thing mm-hmm. now those things uh, deal with lot of otherwise trauma and otherwise mm-hmm. confusion uh but i do not see that confusion very evident in your handwriting so the way it okay. was done it was not done with abusive mechanisms no, no, it was done all, yeah. no. with lot of persuasion so i right. i sense that it wasn't a traumatic experience for you so i don't see a big shift because of that okay i think you're true i think it was not at all traumatic and i don't even remember it this was what was told to me by my uh, mother that i used to write in my left when i started off and mm. then slowly the teachers in school uh, persuaded me to write in my right uh, but uh, i now can write in both my hands and they say ambidextrous people are more creative and logical at the same time because they can access both sides of the brain which right. research is still in in dispute so that's why i didn't mention that because the whole right brain left brain research is constantly being you know refuted by people so that's why i didn't mention that point but yes graphology okay. talks about brain writing so what i see is not necessarily a conflicting space here good great i think it was a great conversation and i think i learned a lot uh, thank you for this thank you likewise thank you thank you vikram mystery thrillers or even detective novels thrive on the presence of an undercover agent a person who is an active part of the narrative but you cannot clearly define his personality someone who may know a lot about you but you do not know much about him the same analogy is applicable to our graphology tool of the week signatures with some sort of encircling a hood or a cover you may say as i have been saying over and over again signatures are poetic signature analysis is a world of its own a stroke or two can reveal a lot of information much more than one can fathom when someone encircles a signature or even a part of it then without their knowledge they're trying to keep some information about their personal or professional life concealed it works as a protective shield when they walk into vulnerable situations we can compare it with say a sunscreen lotion pe suit covid mask or even ghungat or burkha in all these varied situations a cover or a shield is needed to survive in that social emotional or physical situation a similar thought is applicable when it comes to the signature with encircling like a cocoon i've heard people judging this trait negatively they make blatant remarks like oh my trying to hide something huh this person is not good this is a bad signature i tell you before we judge anybody let's take a moment to understand why this writer does this encircling 
That simple stroke represents the barrier the writer wishes to build. It's a psychological protective wall that keeps other people's judgments and criticism at bay. This writer is hiding something from the world. Hiding is needed as showing up is painful. Cover up is required as the rejection and dejection is hurtful. The psychological barrier represented in Signature actually talks about deeper concerns like things he or she is insecure about or uncomfortable with. Before you judge anyone, let me remind you the famous line by poet Charles Bukowski. The empty, the angry, the lonely, the tricked. We are all museums of fear. If you or anyone you know has this encircling stroke in their signature, then remember, talking to people about your deepest, darkest problem is not your easiest thing to do. So make sure that you use handwritten journaling. You cannot keep all these emotions inside. They become toxic. Finding an outlet is crucial. How to journal, you ask? It's simple. Take a rule book, a ballpoint pen, and write down this question I'm about to ask you, and then pen down all your thoughts. By that, I mean all of them. Do not edit, filter, or rationalize anything when you're writing. Don't even try to make sense of it. Just write. Let the physical action of writing be your mode of expression. The journaling question is, what is my fear, insecurity, or baggage behind building all these barriers or walls in every relationship. You can do that super effective, calming graphotherapy stroke called flow of thoughts for one page before you actually start writing your response. Our regular listeners already know what I'm referring to. But if you're new here, then go ahead and download this journaling worksheet PDF from aditisurana.com slash podcast. It has all the explanation about the stroke of graphotherapy that I just mentioned. As announced earlier, from 12th of February onwards, we will be doing special couple analysis session. Enroll for them now to decode and understand the reasons behind all your fights with your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend or partner. Our new Graphology Masterclass batches start on the first Saturday of every month. This one power-packed course will help you understand yourself and people around you in ways you cannot imagine. Check the details on my website for the next two batches that start on 6th of Feb and 6th of March. If you like this podcast, then don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on IVM Network. You can listen to us on IVM Podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IVM Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Let's connect on Friday with one more episode on relationship. Till then, happy writing! Feeling overwhelmed, anxious, struggling with too many obstacles, don't know where your life is headed. Well, if you are dealing with one or all of these, tune into the Positively Unlimited podcast because in each episode, I share a life lesson, a life hack, a pro tip that can help you get your life back on track. All episodes are available on the IBM website, IBM podcast app, or wherever it is that you get your podcast from. Want to learn something new and have a few minutes to spare? Well, then go for The Travelling Professor's Diary, where I, Siddharth Deshmukh, The Travelling Professor, will help you glean from all the insights that I've gained from wherever I've travelled, learned, taught and repeated. Join me every Tuesday and Thursday on the IVM Podcast website, app or wherever you get your podcasts from.